In this episode, I was joined by Ben Martin. Ben has spent much of his working life concerning himself with improving online security, especially around secure document delivery and storage, or more latterly, digital identification. As a result of the COVID crisis, Ben has been working upon delivering a testing service linked to securely storing results and identity records that can then easily be verified and shared by means of a smartphone-based wallet. I started by getting Ben to introduce himself. Ben, thank you for taking the time out to come talk to us this morning. Um, as seems to be traditional with these podcasts, how about you, you start by giving a, a bit of an introduction to the listener of yourself, um, what you've got up to, and, and perhaps some of your entrepreneurial journey. Thank you, Mark. Good morning. Very good to, to talk to you. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to have this discussion with you today. I've been involved in the uh, technology business for quite some years. I started getting involved in electronic document management in the very early days, way back in the 1980s, if, if anybody can remember that far back. And um, through various iterations, I've been involved in businesses that have offered document management hardware and software over the years. And that gradually evolved to the point where I got rather fed up of offering highly expensive systems that had to be required a massive capital investment and uh, a major project to implement them. And then to find that they weren't either properly used or properly implemented. So it did appear that wasn't a very productive way to go forward. So back in 2010, I formed a company called Safe for Information Management with two associates based on the presumption that we would offer this as a service, software as a service, using the, the internet as a, as a means of managing information, but also with the view of making it very, very secure. The, 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 the perception at the time was that there was a lot of um, nefarious activity going on on the internet. And in fact, email had become the major source of computer crime, both for identity theft and financial fraud and a range of other illegal activity that was causing a great deal of concern. So we decided we created a service whereby an organization can share very confidential information with other organizations without using email. So one of my colleagues who's a very capable software designer and architect, Chapel Alistair Stubbs, who's actually won Microsoft Awards for Digital Britain in the past for his designs for other organizations, set up a system whereby the, the, the whole concept, the whole design is based on security to make sure that the information contained in what we call a vault, which is a very discrete space set up for a person, an organization, a project, a matter, a case, whatever it might be, but it's a discrete space specific to that purpose. And only the authorized users of that vault can have access to the information it contains. There's a lot of uh, processes around that in terms of how we handle content control, how we do uh, automatic notification. We manage a very, very strict set of internal permissions. And the system has a very rigorous audit trail and, and a record of what's been going on. So this, this system has been out now since 2010. We've got uh, we're now about 55,000 users. So it's grown steadily over the years. It still isn't a, a massive system in, in the context of many others that are out there, but it's, it's grown. It's entirely UK based. We manage uh, all in a data center at uh, accredited ISO 27001, which is important from an information security perspective. Uh, but also we're a UK company and the entire ownership and management of the company is UK based. So we don't have any issues about foreign intrusion or concern about the way foreign laws affect the way we hold data. We do comply very, very rigidly with the UK Data Protection Act and the way that that's been amended after the introduction of GDPR in 2018. So in terms of my entrepreneurial journey, that was, that was the start of it when I formed this company in 2010, and that's been growing ever since. I joined the Guild of Entrepreneurs in January 2018, which was a fairly seminal moment for me because it made me realize that there was a, 
a great deal of other benefit to becoming a member of such a such an organization and not only the formation of, of friendship and fellowship that is part of the one of the objectives of the guild but also the opportunity to interact with other organizations who've got similar sort of experiences and similar um, vision about how they want to run their run their lives and their business and through that i've taken part in the london business school entrepreneurship summer school program i've been a mentor for several of their students over the years. That's been very, very gratifying and satisfying for me personally. I found that enjoyable and really interesting in terms of the, the scope of projects that I've been asked to, to, uh, to offer my, my help with. But also the, the sheer opportunity of meeting people who have got similar interests and who can maybe from a business context interact with what we're trying to do through Safe 4. And that really is what led to another situation which um, I'd like to talk about concerning the current pandemic problem we face as a nation. Back in May this year, I was approached by uh, a, a colleague I'd known for a long time, but a former customer of SAFOR actually, a lady based in Yorkshire who runs a very, very interesting business um, centering on getting women into work, also making sure that they're properly dealt with and inclusivity are being addressed in accordance with the, the correct way of looking at things. So. Um, she'd been approached by several organizations, mainly in the construction sector, who were very keen to try and get their staff back to work. And of course, many sectors have been hit very badly by, by the current pandemic. And in that context, we felt that we, we could offer something because the Secure Vault is a very effective way of managing information about a person and therefore a good way of managing information about their health. And, and we've tried to extend that in, in a number of different ways and in, in a way that we think can add value to what employees are trying to do to a look after their workforce, workforce and exercise a proper duty of care, but also help their own business by trying to get back to business and, and get their employees back to work and get the workplace functional as much as they can. I appreciate we can't get back to full normality or normality as we knew it before March this year, but at least we can make some important steps to reducing the, um, the level of disruption that's been affecting us all so badly. That's a very, very full answer. Thank you. I wanted to take you backwards a little bit to your life prior to, to 2010. So what, what, what were your formative years? What was the background and industries you worked in? Prior to that, I'd, I'd been working since the 1980s in the in electronic document management field, working for some, some large companies and some small companies, but always as, a, as an employee, as a director in most of them, a fairly senior director. I'd done a lot of traveling. I'd been working in the United States, Canada, several European countries, in Australia, New Zealand and, and South Africa. And I guess the, um, the overriding concept that I, I got from that was that I didn't really want to be an employee anymore. I'd had quite a lot of time in the, in the corporate world, not necessarily the, the massive corporate world, but enough to make me realise that it was frustrating and sometimes difficult. And um, my relationship with associates and colleagues was, was sometimes difficult and that was often based on the fact that you know you don't always have the same vision of how, how the business can be run and um, electronic document was a very exciting emerging technology way back in the 1980s and 90s but it became quite commonplace in the latter years and a lot of the systems that were offering that sort of service were very very expensive they're dominated by some very large companies that i wasn't a member of and therefore i felt that um, a different approach would be beneficial and hence, I decided to move out of the corporate world and set up not my own business personally, but a business which I would share with two others. We, we all put our own time and money into the system. We, we all make considerable sacrifices to, to get to the point where we are now. And um, now's the time I really want to try and see if we can take it to the next level. And, and that's hence the activity that we're engaged in right now. Let's centre on that then for a, for a, for a moment. Tell, tell us a bit more about 
what you've been doing this year, um, yeah, obviously with respect to, to the COVID situation? We were approached, as I mentioned, Mark, in May this year by somebody who had numerous contacts in the construction and also the HR management area. And they were looking for ways to try and offer their staff a way of getting back into the workplace without risk or with as, as little risk as possible, both for the staff and for the business. We decided that there were five key elements we wanted to try to build into a process, all centered on the use of this vault, the safe or vault where the information relating to an individual and their health status could be securely kept. So we started out by saying, well, the first thing we have to do really is identify who the individual is. So we've teamed up with a UK company who offer a very, very high quality identity verification service, which is based on sending a request to somebody to say, please carry out this simple process. You firstly take a, a selfie, a photograph of your face on your phone. You then take a photograph of your identity document, which we normally would suggest a passport. Biometric facial recognition is then carried out to make sure, yes, that is the person, that is their document. That's then placed into the vault, which is the repository for the information relating to, to that person. We then facilitate a test. And what's interesting now is that we can offer a test for the, the uh, COVID antibody based on a finger prick test that you can do at home. So the, the intention is we send a test kit to the individual's home, or it might be to the workplace, depending on how the organization is structured. The fingerprint test is carried out by the person. It's very simple and very easy. It's like a, what, what you expect people to do for a you know, diabetes test, a blood test. The, the test sample then is sent off to a laboratory, a UK approved laboratory. This whole process is approved by, by the UK MHRA, which is the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency. And that's important because we only want to follow the very best practice in this sector. And there's a lot of rather we think maybe less suitable testing regimes out there, but we've partnered with a company called Screen4, who are based in Yorkshire. They're the world's leading provider of drug and alcohol testing services for airlines, and they operate uh, in 40 countries and 140 locations around the world. They're a very well-established and highly professional organization, so they are our testing partner. They facilitate the test process, whereby the, 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 the blood test that's taken from the individual is sent to a UK-based laboratory, the results of the test are fed back directly into the person's vault. They can then download the results of that test into the pass in a wallet on their phone. And they can then, from the phone, they can then show that as a pass to gain entry to a workplace or to gain entry to somewhere where they, they need to be to, to carry out the task they're employed for. And in many cases, that might be entering a, the private property to carry out maintenance work or some sort of other service inside the home. People like gas engineers and plumbers, people like that, have to get entry to do the work that they do. But obviously, there is some potentially concern on the part of the occupant of the property to say, well, should I let this person into my home? Are they safe? Am I safe? So the idea is that the, the pass now contains a QR code, which when scanned by another phone or by a scanning device of some sort, will go to our secure site in the UK, bring back our record of that individual. It'll show the person's photograph, which is the one that we, the, the selfie they took in the first place. And it'll then show the test results for the individual doing the, doing the scan to ensure that the person who's trying to get entry of the workplace, A, is who they say they are, and B, that the results of their, of their test are shown on, the, on the, the landing page that we offer. So that process, we think, the five different steps is what constitutes an approach to getting to getting the antibody test to ensure that you've got no, very low risk of either transmitting or catching the disease. However, the, the virus test itself is, is, is another service that we provide, which is called a PCR test. That's a polymerase chain reaction test, which is a swab, which is a nasal and a throat swab. That'll confirm whether or not you have the virus. But again, the same process applies. 
You can have that done by the individual themselves, although in many organizations, particularly if you're doing this pre-flight and you need to travel to a country where they insist on a, on a negative test less than 72 hours before the flight, they insist on a clinician collected test rather than something that you've done yourself because there are some issues about whether you've been able to insert the, uh, the swabs far enough up your nose or down your throat and not everybody finds it comfortable to do that. The same process applies that goes off to a laboratory, UK laboratory, the results are fed back into the vault and that can then be used as evidence of, of the fact that the, the test is negative or positive as the case may be. And then the, the individual wishes to travel can either have that downloaded to the pass on their phone or they can print it as a, as a document. We provide a PDF report which can then be shown as, a, as, a, as evidence of the test when the, the individual checks in for the flight. Um, and that's something that we're developing now and should be available in the early part of October. I was going to ask you that question that we, we're recording this what, 22nd September. So I, I was thinking about the launch timeline either as a, a pilot project or in a you know, kind of full production, uh, as it were. And again, you know, a, a side of the airline testing, we're talking of, you know, have you got any specific interest in any particular sectors? Yes, we have. The, the, the ones that we've identified are particularly initially construction which is um, characterized typically by a large workforce of contractors as opposed to employed individuals. So what would happen on, a, say, a building site is that people who are carrying out certain trades or certain skilled tasks would arrive at the site and they could be scanned as they enter the site and the, and the evidence of the antibody or the virus, whichever tests have been carried out, can be displayed on their phone and then scanned and the person admitting them to the site would receive confirmation of their test status and therefore the ability to admit them to the site. Construction also is interesting because some people will not just work for one construction company, but also potentially for many. They could go to several construction sites on the same day. If you're an electrician or a plumber or a specialist craftsman of some kind, you may work on different sites at the same time. And also the fact that you're now safe or you have been tested and therefore carry the antibody means that you can work in proximity with other people who may also be safe, but also potentially They've not been tested because you, if you have the antibody, the, the belief is that you won't be able to transmit the disease and you won't be able to catch it. So therefore, the issue of separation or social distancing is, is less of an issue. And therefore, people can work in different levels of proximity. Um, so construction is one, and that's a very important sector in the UK because it's a very big sector in employees. I think it's about a million and a half um, contractor employees in that sector, but also others like, like hospitality, events, entertaining even retail to some extent, where you've got people in, um, uh, in different situations carrying out tasks in, in a shop or a, a retail environment, um, home deliveries, that sort of thing. You know, there's, there's a large logistics element of this as well, potentially. Those are the sectors that we've looked at initially, but also the, the new test that I've mentioned, the antibody test, which is being launched as we speak now, that radically reduces the cost because you haven't got to get a skilled phlebotomist to come and take a blood draw out of your arm. You can do it yourself and therefore it wipes out a very large portion of the cost of getting that done. So we think that the radically reduced cost of getting a test done will open up this potentially to many, many much smaller companies. And we're in discussion now with several HR service providers, companies who provide um, HR consultancy and actually literally manage the, the HR function for a number of their clients to offer that to their clients. And of course, you can now get to the SME market, which is of great importance um, because that's one of the real drivers of the economy. Our economy is, is, has a lot, four and a half million, I believe, SME companies, and many of those have been very badly hit by the pandemic and are struggling to keep their business going because of the restrictions that we have to face. So the idea that they can get the test done and get their staff either back to work or not, depending on their test status, of course, 
is really important and that can be done very economically. You, you can recover the cost of, um, of getting the test done in an hour's labor. It's not that expensive thing to do. So if you can get somebody working again, you rapidly recover the cost of getting that test and, uh, and therefore hopefully benefit your business, but also also benefit the, the individuals themselves because it reduces the risk and the, and the stress that everybody's going through to, to wonder whether they can get back to work. Also, the, the issues relating to furlough and the risk of redundancy, the threat of redundancy are quite real. And, and we do believe there's maybe some mental health damage being done in many sectors of society because of the impact that that's had on a large number of people. And also it's about just trying to encourage the workforce to, to try and recover their sense of, um, of normality and, and see if they can get back to work to the greatest extent possible. Kind of interesting. Well, a, a comment on the, the final thing that you just said there uh, in other podcasts, and we were ourselves chatting before we, we started recording about the the work that our fellow Freeman Tony Mathura is doing with the Central London Alliance. So, yes. I think getting this perception change from can't, mustn't to can, should, and under what circumstance, um, you know, it's massively vitally important. And again, as we record this, of course, we we we, we hit the upscaling of the risk factor um, by the government so we're, we're, we're entering late summer into winter so the, the chances of covid infection are going to increase but you know the economy we've shown you we can't shut the economy down again so having these kind of tools is just massively important it rhythms well with with work that others are doing i was going to say that again as you were chatting and you talked about some of those sectors i could immediately think of a a few of, of our fellow freemen that this would be of interest to. Um, so for the purpose of anybody listening to this, whether inside the Guild or uh, somebody outside the Guild listening, if they want to learn more about what you're doing, um, by all means, if you want to share, if you have a website for it, and um, details, if you want to share that. The, the marketing of this has been handled through an associate company that we set up last year. It's called S4 Encrypt. Uh, I'll spell that for you in a moment. Um, but the... The reason we're doing that is that we wanted to be able to create applications which were based on the Safe 4 Vault. Safe 4 is a fairly generic uh, set of capabilities, it's very, very safe, very, very powerful, and very, very robust and reliable. And we, we thought that it could be made available in several sectors rather more effectively if we had an application that to drive a certain business process for that sector. And this is one example of that, of course. But the, the key development in this software that we've undertaken has been done using the Core Safe 4 platform. So the company that we're providing the marketing through is called S4 Encrypt. That's the letter S, the number four, E-N-C-R-Y-P-T. And the website is s4encrypt.uk. There's no .co, it's just .uk. And there is information about the... Um, about the, the testing services we provide and how they can be made available and, and also how to contact us and talk about requirements and how we can potentially help to satisfy those and you mentioned the current situation vis-a-vis -vis the economy and testing and all the other things that are being reported on the media mark and there is a lot of very negative coverage in the media about the difficulties in getting a test and you've had a test I believe haven't you and I, I trust that was a satisfactory experience for you. But I have uh, if not as you described uncomfortable. <laughs> Indeed, but I have a I have a member of my family who's tried she's actually a nurse working in a hospital trying to get a test and had to drive many, many miles to get the test done, had the test, was then told that, sorry, we've lost the results or we can't find the result. Can you come back again and do it again? And then had to wait more days to get the result. And it was fairly chaotic and not very satisfactory. We think that there are ways of improving that. That's not the way to do this, we think. And I've been trying to contact my local MP 
again, I've written several times to her without response. I've tried to progress the contact in the development of health, again, without response. So I think that the, the world of officialdom is so focused on, on this, this issue that they're not really listening to people who can maybe help to try and overcome it. I do sense there's a little bit of confusion in, in the official circles about what to do and how, and who can we in, involve in the process to try and help and, and get our, our, our economy functioning again, but also try and protect and improve the health of the nation. Yeah, and again, I think you make a really, really good point. And I think part of the, the issue that needs to be addressed is one can rely to a certain extent on what the government wants you to do and needs to do. But on the other side of it, there is a personal need here to to drive this agenda. And as I said, get that perception to I need to make this work. I can make something happen yes. and move from that standpoint. I'm not just fall back. Well, if I do it, you know, someone's going to litigate me somewhere and, you know, it, it becomes that better to do nothing, you know, ostrich type mentality than, than do something. And I, and I think, you know, the, the types of solution you're doing and, and others, uh, you know, are getting involved in is just a massive part of, I think, just what the, certainly the near future working culture is going to be, you know, I think we're all going to get very used to having constant tests and, being put under constant scrutiny and if you don't do it you're just not you're just not going to be able to operate so i think yeah the, the quicker we all move to that point the better um I, just be conscious of of time i just wanted to go back completely unrelated topic and it was right the way back to when you were talking about the benefits of your guild life and you were talking about lbs and the mentoring work we've done there and you know I, I share your same passion for it and did, did my own stint again this this summer school with some good folk um but I, I i was i was kind of intrigued there was a thread of conversation that um, was going on within the guild earlier on in in the lockdown and some events that we got involved in about the difference between entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs you know kind of ideas people within businesses and, and it was when you were talking about your early life and you know kind of the, the learning lessons that you took from that and then you, you described that that kind of got you in a place where you felt you know you you had that knowledge you had that fit for knowledge you know i'm just in, in, intrigued if you have any of your own views on that difference between if you're helping an intrapreneur somebody within an organization as a mentor and and obviously, you know, more, more defined as an entrepreneur, someone who's starting a business. And what do you see as those different character traits in the two and where the, where the two kind of hit a slight fork in the road of what you need to make, do to make an idea work within somebody else's business as opposed to your own business? If that's not too long a question. <laughs> no, no, that's a really interesting point, Mark. Thank you. I mean, my, my take on that is that if you're trying to make an interesting idea work in somebody else's business, you've really got to be sure you're in the right business because many businesses are not necessarily geared up towards helping innovative thinking reach the point where it needs to, where, you know, where the rubber hits the road. And that was partly my experience, I guess, over the years. And I found that in many of the organizations I was involved in, there was innovative thinking going on at different levels, but it wasn't always necessarily getting to the top level where something could be done about it. And um, I did spend 10 years working for a very large pharmaceutical company, which, uh, which predated my involvement in the IT stroke electronic document management world. And that was very much the case there where it was, a, you know, the sort of not invented here syndrome. And if you, if you, <laughs> if you came up with a good idea, you, you probably were not going to make very much progress with it until you, you, you sort of took it elsewhere. But 
the, the, the concept for me about the entrepreneur rather than the intrapreneur is that you then take it upon yourself to try and bring this into a situation where it can be of some value. And you therefore are taking clearly a risk. And I guess we all have a different appetite for risk. Um, my appetite for risk was that I wanted to try and get away from the constraints of the corporate world and understand that I could do something about my, my intentions myself or in, in conjunction with a very small number of, of other colleagues. Um, so I think it's all about A for the appetite for risk and also the appetite for work because um, it's not easy. You know, my journey at entrepreneur hasn't been easy. It's been all embracing. It's been, um, it's, it's taken a lot out of me. It's required a lot of personal sacrifice. And that's, to me, that's, that's the typical journey. Most people that I know that have started entrepreneurial businesses don't make an overnight success of it. You've got to really go at it and make sure you are tenacious and, and uh, committed and, and just keep driving it through. It doesn't mean to say it's going to work, but if you've got a good idea and you believe that your idea is solid and you can take it forward, then I think that it's all about you as a person really trying to make sure that that gets to fruition and you can bring it to some sort of hopefully successful conclusion. I think the, the chance of doing that inside another company are much more limited depending on your role, of course, and depending on the nature of the company. But in my personal experience, they, they were much more limited in, in the constraints of a corporate world rather than in an environment where I had more control and more influence over the outcome myself. No, it's interesting. I, 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 quite recently, I, I've, I've done some entrepreneurship mentoring for a, a very, very large global corporation. And it, it, two juxtapositions that you, you spoke of, which I, I think get, get to some of the nubs of the point that in, in that large organization, that entrepreneur actually has a slight fear of failure because it's, it's a career defining moment for them rather than you know, losing their own stake, losing the, the, the time, energy and enthusiasm for whatever the project was so in a sense they over prepare as, as you know into their own you know kind of entrepreneurial slash entrepreneurial journey which is a a trait that i find entrepreneurs often lack to lack doing uh, and certainly on startups that you know, the old adage of fail to prepare prepare to fail it's all of the devil in the detail that you need to do and, and you know too many get caught on the, the big idea and, and just want to want to want to run at a, a thousand miles an hour at the big idea without thinking about all of the stuff that's going on around it so I, I find that interesting and the, and the other bit was I, I think you, you kind of referenced it um, emotionally about growing in, in yourself and growing as a leader you know and just as you, you you take your own idea on you become a, a different leader than a leader that is within a somebody else's organization because they've always got that safety net of having other people around them that will pick them up if they start you know falling falling down the branches as it were whereas a an entrepreneur it's you and, and if you fall down those branches no one's going to catch you just you're going to hit the ground hard you know so you it, it, it tends to develop you uh, and mature you uh, as a leader i certainly not, i i enjoy seeing that in the people i mentor I would very much endorse that, Mark. I think you're absolutely right. And the, the, the emergence of some sort of leadership trait is, is kind of necessary, really. You've got to find your own way forward, haven't you? You can't fall back on, on others in the way that you can in a, in a, in a different entrepreneurial setting. So you're right. And that's, that's one of the stress tests, I suppose, of the, of the entrepreneur. Can you do that? Can, can you sort of survive that, that pressure when it comes about and, and keep mm -hmm. going forward? Sorry, that was a slight personal indulgence, but it, it, I was just—it's a, it's a topic that intrigues me, and uh, you know, it, as as was shown, you, you had some really great views on it. Ben, uh, unfortunately, I, I believe time is getting against us now. So um, at, at this point, if I may, if I can thank you for taking the time. Good luck with the the the, the COVID business. I hope it 
is successful for you, certainly worthwhile and necessary. As I said, we'll, we can share contact details aside of you, you, you sharing the URL uh, on the interview. So, yeah, just remains just to say thank you. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate your time today. And thanks for giving me the opportunity of talking to you and uh, expressing my enthusiasm for the, for the Guild and for the whole concept of entrepreneurship. Brilliant. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Mark. Since recording the episode, Ben has progressed S4 Encrypt. With his partner, Screen4, working with a number of major airlines offering pre-flight testing, storing data in Ben's vaults. The first is scheduled to go live on the 1st of December, with the thinking that the testing cost and storage will be incorporated within the price of the flight.